Hello. That was the week that was, and what a week. We were spoilt for stories. On Sunday, the BBC hierarchy began a coordinated campaign to secure its future. The chairman, the former hedge fund boss and conservative donor Richard Sharp, gave his first interview as chairman to the Sunday Times. And a few days later, his director-general, Tim Davey, gave his pitch to the Royal Television Society. The next day, the government minister with their fate in her hands, Culture Secretary Michelle Donnellan, told Parliament that she still wanted rid of the licence fee, but, like the chairman and DG, did not seem entirely sure about what should replace it. All options seem open. Now, some of this might have got lost in the rejoicing over the England football team's progress in the World Cup and the cricket team's invention of a new way of playing cricket, managing an extraordinary win on the driest of dry Pakistani pitches. And then on Thursday morning came the first three of six Netflix documentaries about Harry and Meghan, who want us all to know their truth. Navel-gazing has never been so popular. How should BBC News react to such alleged royal revelations as it plans the coronation of the new king? Who better to take us through all these complex issues than the man who shares an old-fashioned Christian name with me? Roger Mosey is former editorial director of the BBC, head of TV News and director of the Beijing and London Olympic Games coverage. He's now master of Selwyn College, Cambridge, and has recently published a book entitled 20 Things That Would Make the News Better. Welcome, Roger. Would the news be better without such blanket coverage of Harry and Meghan's um, revelations? I think it might do. And, of course, the syndrome you see there is what we call previewitis. So there was lots and lots and lots of hype beforehand, and including a number of broadcasters, and the BBC was one of them, who essentially played the trailer for the Netflix documentary in its entirety and talked about it endlessly. And it's falling for the oldest trick in the book, which is a great publicity campaign by Netflix. Now, Harry called the press pack of royal correspondence essentially an extended PR arm of the royal family, an agreement that has been there for over 30 years. And he says he believes the media see his trauma as its narrative to control. Um, Is that true? And is that true of the BBC? Well, you have to pick two things apart there. The first is there is no doubt that the media harassment of some members of the royal family has been significant. And of course, with Princess Diana, but also with newer members of the royal family, it's a pretty unpleasant thing to happen. Now, you can, of course, now say in the case of the Sussexes that their privacy is being invaded by themselves. And that is also true. But I think the the media pack must be pretty intimidating if it's something you're not used to. On, On complicity, I don't think so. I think there are complicated relationships between the BBC and the palace. I think the BBC... Um, which I've sometimes said is a rather liberal organisation, goes somewhat gung-ho monarchist when it comes to matters of the palace. And there probably is a wish quite a bit of the time not to offend the palace. And uh, I think we've seen that in multiple occasions. But most of the reporting still manages to be pretty fair. But if anything, I think the bias in the BBC's case on the royals is a bit more biased to the royals rather than against them. Now, that was David Dumbleby said when I talked to him earlier for an earlier podcast. He says there's, there's so much we actually don't know about the way the monarchy works. I don't think it would diminish us at all. You know, I think you need to know. If you know and then you can agree, you can acquiesce in it, or if things need changing, you can change it. 
But, I mean, he suggests that the BBC is a sort of split personality when it comes to the monarchy. It wants to be the national broadcaster. It wants to be there at marriages, funerals, weddings and everything else. So it wants the royal family to exist and for it to be its broadcaster. And on the other hand, it thinks, wait a minute, hold on, we're supposed to be an independent journalistic body. Um, We should be asking questions about all of this. And sometimes you think it's doing the splits. That is right. And I don't think anyone would begrudge the fact that the BBC covered the royal funeral, the Queen's funeral, really well, and it was appropriate for a big national moment. What it needs to do is to have a debate about the monarchy sometime between now and the coronation. I hope it's going to do that. Because one of the things that happened, of course, when the monarch died is there was the transition to the new monarch. And we know that about 33% of the country uh, don't agree that there should be a monarchy in its present form. And those voices have to be heard. So the BBC does have to walk a bit of a tightrope. I would feel more reassured if I could see programmes coming up, which are going to examine uh, King Charles, ahead of the coronation and ask whether we are literally going to believe that he has been anointed by God and that that is the way that the British constitution works or is it something different in a modern age? And amidst all this, of course, news presenters have to be impartial because the director general is particularly concerned about impartiality and the chairman says BBC still has a problem with it. Well, how impartial, Roger, do you think BBC news presenters have been over Harry and Meghan, for example? I noticed last night that Nicholas Witchell, when he was talking about the allegation that there was a conspiracy against Beckham, saying that it was, well, I think the word he used was absurd. I mean, if you'd been editor of TV News, would you have told him to take that out of the script? No, I think it's correct to deconstruct some of the things that happen in the monarchy, and quite a lot of it is PR. I mean, the palace seems to me to be running a campaign for support for the monarchy, which is absolutely right and proper. They recognise they're in a bit of a fight. And it's important that the BBC both reflects the fact that there is a campaign going on and can sometimes critique it and pull it apart. Uh, So I would encourage reporters and correspondents to treat the monarchy in a way they treat any other story. And I thought Nicholas Witchell was properly analytical last night on the BBC News and fine, good, good for him. Well, let's turn to the BBC's, what I call the BBC's public relations offensive. I mean, it it can hardly be a mistake that the chairman gives his first interview on Sunday and Tim Davey goes into battle on Wednesday and so on. Uh, What do you think the BBC's reason for going hard now is? Well, there is a battle for the future of the BBC and the battle is both for the organisation itself and also for funding. And we know Nadine Doris said the licence fee settlement they just did would be the last one. And Michelle Donlan, as a new culture secretary, has not demurred from that. So the BBC can see that the licence fee is under threat. Now, I think there are two ways of handling that. Either they just defend the licence fee, it's the only thing they can do. What I've been struck by with Richard Sharp and also by implication Tim Davey is they seem to be saying we're open to any sensible suggestions about the way the BBC could be funded. And that could be by a household tax, it could be by some sort of broadband levy, it could be by subscription, they haven't ruled that out. And the only thing they seem to have ruled out is funding by general taxation, which they think would mean the BBC would be controlled too much by the government. I can see that argument, but I personally would not have ruled that out as quickly as they have done. 
Do you think actually they're playing quite a cunning game in the sense that everybody can say they're against the licence fee, but nobody can quite decide what should replace it? So if the BBC doesn't defend the licence fee and says we're open, then as people examine the alternatives, they may think, oh, we don't like that, we don't like that. And, and actually it gets the BBC to a degree off the hook. And also the BBC presumably is trying to work out if we do get a Labour government in two years' time, which seems likely at the moment, ooh, would they give us more money? What would their attitudes be? You're right, as ever, Roger, but let, let me try a bit of a longer-term perspective here. And that is that the BBC has been grappling for at least 15 years with the question of where people start paying for extra services. And it used to be the case, when you were thinking about the environment in 2007, 2008, when I was involved in some of these discussions, that uh, the BBC is paid for by licence fee, and you get BBC One and Radio 4 and all the rest of it. But you do then have two things happen. One is some programmes go to commercial television, so some of them go to Dave or other commercial channels, some of them with a BBC stake, and they get commercials in, so you can watch pointless with commercials if you want on some channels or in those days you could go down to Woolworths and buy a DVD of a BBC programme and you could pay 10 quid whatever it was to get the whole series so the BBC recognised that in a digital age that will change and there was in the early 2010s in about 2012-2013 discussion about something called the BBC Store which would be at its most ambitious, the iPlayer front page, you'd have three quarters of it being the iPlayer, and then a quarter would have been BBC Store, where you'd have gone into a pay system to pay for box sets or deep archive. And, and I think what the BBC is doing at the moment is preparing for the possibility, at least, of some subscription, what people call a hybrid model. So you get most of what you get from the BBC still funded by a licence fee or a household tax, but you do then go into a pay system to get additions and add-ons. And I, I just get this sense that's the direction the BBC is thinking about, at least. But it's the end of universality, isn't it? And it means that poorer people will be worse off. Of course you can say poorer people can have the basic service, but the idea of the BBC caters for everybody regardless of their income goes out the window if you do hybrid, that sort of hybrid funding, isn't it? Well, hybrid funding, the Olympics is a good example where it is happening in a way already. So what you got in the Beijing Winter Olympics and the Tokyo Summer Olympics was the BBC having uh, a couple of linear channels they would cover the Olympics. But then the 24 channels of additional sport, which we offered for free from the BBC in 2012 in the most recent Olympics, was behind a paywall on Discovery and Eurosport. So the question is, would it be OK for that to be behind a BBC paywall rather than a commercial Discovery and Eurosport uh, paywall? And it's at least a debate worth having. And the example I've cited in a couple of places before, and nobody has demurred too much, is that if you had Wimbledon Centre Court available on BBC One, available as part of the licence fee, what if you paid £20 to get a Wimbledon season ticket additionally, which would give you all the other courts or interactive elements? So a hybrid is not meaning that you necessarily have to rule out most people getting most of what they want most of the time. And crucially, it brings in income for the BBC, which I can't see coming from any government, whatever political colour. And just while we're on the question of sport, do you think that the BBC, that the future of the BBC has to involve live sport? Um, people would agree that the news services need to be protected. A lot of people are saying actually live is what will be the BBC's future and sport should have been part of that. And there has been criticism in the past that it hasn't invested sufficiently. 
do you think live sport has to be at the heart of a BBC offer, as the awful phrase is? Live sport was traditionally a big part of the BBC, and I fervently support it remaining so. And you just have to think, in this current World Cup, what if a lot of the matches were on Sky or behind a subscription paywall, which would, I think, be very tough. And the World Cup has been enjoyed just as the Olympics are because it's on free-to-air television. And in fairness to FIFA, which is a pretty ghastly organisation, it does generally sell its wares to free-to-air channels because it knows that's the way that you get popular interest in it. The BBC has, at times, been careless. I think in... um, around 2013-14, it was duff to get rid of the Formula One deal, which is a fantastic deal for the BBC, and which brought in a younger male demographic, which it doesn't get a lot of the time, and it let the Formula One deal, which was a shared deal with Sky, go. Um, and then um, it moaned about the fact it hadn't got any young men watching its programmes anymore. So sport can be a really big driver of universality for the BBC. I wonder if I could talk about what seems to me an absence in the BBC's campaign. When I listen to the chairman and I listen to the DG, I hear two businessmen talking about this great British business that will have a role in the future. What I haven't heard articulated is a vision of what public service broadcasting means or should mean over the next 10 to 15 years. There seems to me a gap there. So the BBC is in very good business hands, which will ensure that an organisation exists in 10, 15, 20 years Creating jobs, spreading jobs throughout the kingdom, earning income from world saves, whatever. Whether it'll be a public service organisation at its core, I don't know. Am I right to have these worries? I would separate. I, I don't know Richard Sharp at all. Uh, I do know Tim Daly quite well. I, I'd separate the two. I, I, I think Richard Sharp is saying some interesting and good things, but I worry about the fact he is a major Tory donor, and it's always been the case that chairman of the BBC there has never been a chairwoman. Chairman of the BBC um, have always come from a political background, so there's nothing new in that. But I think it does compromise their ability to articulate a genuine public service case for the BBC. Tim Davy is different. I think Tim um, got the BBC when he arrived as a head of marketing and he was a very good director of radio. So Tim gets public service. But I think you're right. At the moment, we're talking very much about platforms and funding mechanisms and not really about what stuff there is, what content there is. And to me, I used to work in BBC Local Radio. I've been very sad in recent weeks to see what's been happening with BBC Local Radio and the cuts there. And In a world in which we lack localness and accountability and the democratic voice at a local level, um, that seems to me to be the thing the BBC should be about, and it is weakening its position in local radio and regional television. You see, if there was a proper debate about public service, one of the things, the elements that you would look at would be, you know, so-called market failure. And what is clearly happening in local journalism is market failure. And therefore, a very strong case for public service broadcasting to increase its investment. Instead, it's going the other way. And again, these decisions, and the BBC is in a tough place. It's what, lost 30% really in real value of the money it can spend on programmes over the last 10 years or will over the next four or five years as well. So that's massive, 30% gone. So it has to make cuts. But it's decided for a long period to make those cuts without consulting anybody, almost without admitting they're being made. And it's only now that we're seeing the consequence of decisions taken earlier without any significant public debate. Now, they're going to pay for it in Parliament as regards local radio, as we saw yesterday, because MPs are going to make a fuss. 
But how can there be a proper debate on these things before cuts are implemented? You're right, Roger. We're we're not just both called Roger. We're also both journalists, so we should acknowledge a a bias here. And newspeople are in favour of news. And I should say that I'm also in favour of the BBC doing um, compelling drama. So if you look at something like Happy Valley, which is coming back on New Year's Day, that seems to me to be quintessentially what the BBC should be doing because it's it's based in the north of England, it's really good, um, it's got local talent, it's all the things you'd want to tick boxes. So I absolutely think the BBC should stay in drama. But you're right, there is a big debate to be had about the BBC's investment in news and its localness. And I'm speaking very selfishly here as someone who lives in Cambridge, but we are losing the Look East programme from Cambridge uh, in a few days' time, and it will all then be a big region from Norwich. And I don't really care what's happening in Norfolk. I'm sure it's all very interesting, but we've had a programme and it's being taken away. And I would question whether that is at the moment where the BBC should be making the cuts, as opposed to... um, I've, I've used this too many times for it to be novel, but um, series 63 of Bargain Hunt, in which you think, how many more editions of Bargain Hunt do we need? Whereas I would rather we had more editions of Look East from Cambridge. Yeah, you're facing a situation where the decision has been taken, it's being implemented, and it'll be extremely difficult. You need barricades almost to stop it being done. And the point I'm making, there isn't a consultation about that. But it's not just local radio and local journalism, which is vital to democracy and vital as a bulwark against local corruption for, in planning, for, for example. It's in drama. BBC at the moment is making, um, say, the, put the English on. Uh, clearly, it's trying to hit the international market. And you could say, why bother? Because we've got so much coming out of everywhere, and indeed coming out of ITV as well. Where are new writers going to appeal? Where is the drama? Well, Happy Valley is a good example. Where is the drama about ourselves? And that a public service broadcasting organisation has to have a worldview, but it has to attend to young writers, new writers, writing about us. And that's what I worry, that the BBC, in a business sense, will make more of the English and less of the Happy Valley. Yes. The challenge the BBC has is that it does also need to have a commercial arm that works and have some international franchises. And the BBC used to have three programmes which drove its studios business. Doctor Who, Top Gear and Strictly Come Dancing or Dancing with the Stars. And all of them at various points were becoming uh, a bit past their peak and a bit tired. And what you've seen happen with Doctor Who is now a a big deal with Discovery, which turns it into a really major global franchise. And that is where the BBC can see programmes like His Dark Materials, which they want to become international franchises, to help both with their profile and an investment in drama they couldn't otherwise afford. And the fact is that the streamers, Netflix and co, spend such enormous money on dramas that you can see why the BBC worries about missing out. I think the solution is, if they can get to it, more of the middle ranking is an unfair term because they're they're very good but uh, programs like Marriage which I thought was very authentic programs like uh, Happy Valley as we talked about Line of Duty there are all sorts of dramas which somehow feel quite BBC in a way that things co-produced with HBO are less so and how do we affect this I mean clearly some people in the BBC will be thinking just let's get through the next two years and that'll be all right Labour government comes in they'll give us more money Uh, they won't I mean when you look at the problems any incoming government be it Labour or Conservative are going to face in terms of public spending a vast vast increase in spending on public service broadcasting ain't going to happen Um, so how do we get involved in this debate you wrote in the Times on Friday with regard to 
regulation of Netflix and so on that people were talking about, that it's, it's impractical, you can't have that sort of regulation, that it has to be the individual, essentially, who calls out untruths that they see. But what can the individual do about the future of public service broadcasting in this country? How can they take part in the debate when the BBC seems very reluctant to show its hand to anybody? Well, all of the people listening to the podcast, and you and I, should say that we want to have that debate. And I think you're right, Roger, that that there has been from the BBC a setting out of where it wants to be, but not too much detail about the content and about its approach. And um, I, I saw in Tim Davies' speech, which, which was quite ambitious and exciting in many aspects, they said that they wanted to get the BBC into one BBC news brand. And they were saying that, you know, this is all going to be jolly good that we're going to have just one channel on television instead of having the news channel in the UK and BBC World. Well, I can see the theory, and it looks like an organogram that the people from uh, McKinsey's or Deloitte's or wherever would like. I think that we looked at this editorially 20 years ago, and it gives you all sorts of editorial dilemmas, because there are stories which are happening in the UK, which are not relevant at all to people in Washington or New Delhi. And there are stories happening in New Delhi, which are not relevant to people in the UK. And we've been used to a 24-hour UK-based news service, and we're not going to have that anymore. So I think when we get to April next year, when this happens, there should be a huge amount of scrutiny. And if the BBC is seen to have got it wrong, it should change course. And having one BBC news brand is fine in theory. But I I think, for instance, just as a really small example, the BBC News website went completely overboard on the American midterm elections, which really don't matter that much to people in Sunderland. And even as an American fan myself, there was way too much coverage of that, not enough of the UK, because it's all now globally focused. Looking to the future, Roger, Tim Davey in his speech seemed to, if not welcome, certainly not reject the idea that in the future we'll all access everything by the internet. And he talks about the BBC owning the internet. Do you think that makes sense? It's a vision that I think has a certain logic about it, and we are all going on the internet in the longer term. What's a little odd here, and I I defer to uh, the blogger Bill Rogers and trading as WDR, Um, Bill made the point recently that um, the BBC had very recently supported Freeview, saying that Freeview is essential to make sure that you still have access to broadcast content from the widest range of sources. And, of course, the logic of turning the BBC into an internet organisation is that Freeview no longer matters. It's also a bit of a problem for radio, and um, we all of us use devices where we can get podcasts like this one, um, BBC Sounds, but I don't know about you, I've got seven or eight radios around the house which are not internet enabled and whether anyone in the country wants to go and buy seven or eight new internet enabled devices in the next uh, few years I don't know so I would say that it's a bit premature a bit risky to turn off broadcast quite as quickly as they intend uh, but intriguing all the same. Well, he said a switch off of broadcast will and should happen over time and we should be active in planning for it but it's one thing to plan it's another thing to implement it. And I always think that, you know, the person who goes first usually goes bankrupt. It's the person who goes second who makes a, a success. <laughs> Roger, thank you very much. Thank you. Our thanks to Roger Mosey, former editorial director of the BBC and head of TV News and much else. And that's it for this week. 
And as we draw closer to Christmas, why don't you spread some festive cheer by supporting our journalism and subscribe to our podcast for just £1.99 per month. You'll find the link to subscribe on our website and in the description of this programme on your podcast platform. And please do let us know your thoughts about our podcast and other guests you'd like us to talk to. You can get in touch on Twitter by using at BeebRoger or on Mastodon using at RogerBolton at MastodonApp.uk or you can send an email to roger at rogerboltonsbeebwatch.com. And if you didn't know already, this podcast was presented by me, the other Roger, Roger Bolton, and it was produced by Kate Dixon. The sound was by Clifton Bank Studios, and special thanks to Quinn Genty. It was a good egg production. Until next time, goodbye.